0: This is episode number 162, The Flow of Feelings and Self-Development, with Jordana Ear. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lougheed, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you, to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming call called Courageous Conversations. This is a conversation that we started every single Saturday at 9 a.m. Central Time, where we meet through Zoom, and share on the topic that matters most to our lives. If you would like to know more details about how you can join any of these upcoming calls or connect to other members within this community, consider leaving us a message through our website at overcomingodds.today to which we'll respond with all the details. Now, let's get back to the show. Jordana, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Oleg. I'm happy to be here.
0: Absolutely, thank you for choosing to connect with me. And I believe it was Sagil that connected the two of us it was. initially. She's quite a,
1: she's quite a connector. She's she
0: sure here. is. Yeah, she's one of the people that, whenever I get asked, I truly believe in. One of a handful of people that I've met throughout my time that actually does what she says she's going to do. And <sighs> it's, much. you know, it seems like it would be kind of the the norm for everyone to do that, but Uh in reality, it turns out to be a rare quality to have to actually follow up on the word and and the promise. Um, Before we get into the theme of today's conversation, why do you think that is? Why do you think that's a rare quality for people to follow up and follow through?
1: Uh, I believe that we are not conditioned. It's kind of two-part. On one hand, we're not conditioned to know what it is we really desire. We are not really allowed a lot of people haven't been allowed to know their desires and therefore aren't conditioned like as we progress in life and career desire isn't usually a factor for people and yet it's always there Mm -hmm. and so we make commitments that later we might realize whether it's conscious or unconsciously realize that it wasn't something we actually desired to do i think that's the biggest element and then there's also an element of boundaries where people don't necessarily know how to set boundaries. And so they don't set them. <laughs> and then they're very muddy in how they live with or without them.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you communicate that desire to people in your case? Do you spell it out to individuals? These are the one, the two to three things that I'm looking for, or do you kind of leave it up to them? Because I've learned throughout my journey the danger of leaving it up to the individual to do their homework and later on make whatever form of introductions is I want to say maybe two or three, maybe five people have actually done that. Mm. And I think one of the reasons why is because at least in my opinion, when I wake up in the morning as giving as I am as an individual, there's always that thought of putting yourself first in certain elements, right? Mm. Like I don't wake up thinking about 20 other people. I wake up thinking about, okay, brushing my teeth and that's self-care process. And so I just learned there are so many different approaches, but how do you go about it when you have conversations with people? Do you spell it out for them? These are the things I'm looking for. And if you can make introductions here, that'd be great. Or do you just leave that up to chance?
1: It definitely depends upon the conversation. And I usually lead with service. I don't assume that people are necessarily going to want to do things for me. And I come into conversations as clear as possible. Mm -hmm. So, as much as possible, I would like to say always, I'm a human. And occasionally I will, you know, rush into that meeting and realize (laughs) I did not set an intention nor realize my desires first. But generally speaking, I allow myself to sit for just a moment before I walk into a meeting or walk into a situation. And say, okay, what are my intentions? And my intentions are, who do I want to be in this situation? And it might be, I just want to be clear. Or I want to be in service. And that's what matters. And then through my intentions, I also check in with, well, what do I desire? What kind of an outcome do I desire? And I do my best to find that out from the individual. If it's a networking meeting or Mm -hmm. a let's just connect kind of call. Because I do love to do those on LinkedIn. They're so... So many blessings come through them. I ask the person generally, I have actually got a form on my, like on my connect call link. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you desire out of our call? Like if anything were possible, what would you get from it? And then I, if I don't know going into the call, I will ask them sometimes in the beginning, sometimes towards the end. All right, well, here we are now. If it hasn't been a clear, like, oh, let's do this or, oh, this is why we've met. Then I will ask them, well, how can I be of service to you? And usually it opens up the conversation. Then they almost always ask me Mm -hmm. and the times that they don't are honestly, I don't think I've ever asked it of someone that I would like it to ask of me and they didn't ask it back. Mm -hmm. Only people that don't ask it back are those like 1%. That there I didn't really experience much of a connection with them anyway. Mm -hmm. And therefore I will do what I can, but I'm not expecting much in return. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense?
0: It does. That's a really good point that you bring up as far as taking the initiative to ask. Something that I've started to do recently. And that's primarily because even in situations where people don't ask, what I've realized that if I take the initiative to ask them, how can I help you? I oftentimes inspire the same questions within them. So People say, Oh, I never thought about it this way, or I've never been asked that before. And then they ask that back. So I it's kind of it's just a really interesting practice to put in place and have other people follow kind of through your action. So almost you're you're leading by example in an actual conversation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Energy follows energy too. And a lot of the time, like when it comes to flow and us, you know, I think everyone wants to be in the flow with conversation or be in the flow with circumstances in their lives. But the reality, like if you look at the way an ocean flows, like it's the wave that kicks up the flow. Mm -hmm. Right. And from there, there's like other elements, you know, air currents, whatever, that have that flow getting created something has to catalyze it. And so if if the flow isn't happening, there's almost always something that we can do. If we're allowing ourselves to be intuitive in the situation, then there's almost something we can do to catalyze a flow that best serves everyone.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's a perfect transition into the topic that you and I were gonna have a conversation about. When, it, when speaking of flow, feelings and emotions, I feel like follow a similar pattern. I've had numerous conversations on this show with males and females, and um, some of the topics that we spoke about in regard to um, the feelings in particular was for males, it takes, for many of us, it takes a little while to experience the feelings and also talk about the feelings. And a lot of it just had to do with how we were brought up. If you have a problem, figure it out. Certainly, don't cry about it because that's seen as a sign of weakness. Vulnerability was not welcomed in many of the situations. I'm curious to hear from your perspective did you have similar feelings, or when did it make sense for you to really let your emotions out? And you understood that by not suppressing them, you're actually going to help yourself that much more mm-hmm. in your growth and your development moving forward. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a good question. So it was a journey. Um, On one hand, I couldn't help it when I was younger. I was so in touch with the feelings that I experienced and other people's feelings. I could not help it on one level. It created tons of problems. So I did not necessarily understand when I was young, even though I couldn't help but have them, I did not totally get something in me knew that they were beautiful and something in me knew that it wasn't right to force them down. But I also had so many bad experiences as a result. Right. Mm. Like, like sometimes it was just being overwhelmed by other people's feelings. Like the very first memory I have of feeling somebody else's feelings and very directly I knew it wasn't mine, Mm. which is funny because like as a collective, it is ultimately mine. But at the time, like the if, if we're doing an us versus them at the time, I really was clear. Oh, this is somebody else's feeling this. I was in a coffee shop at like four years old with my mom. She's in conversation with a friend. And I'm trying to focus on my mom and her friend, but everything behind me was like, this lady is in grief. Somebody is grieving. And I knew it was a woman, and I knew she was grieving. That's all I knew.
2: Mm-hmm. But I
1: knew that the grief ran so deep. And I turned around, and there she was. Like It looked like she, somebody that she loved to just die. It was very clear on her face. And yet I could feel it from like way across the room with my back turned to her. So it was always like they; those kinds of feelings weighed me down. It created codependence in my relationships because I could feel everybody's feelings. So I wanted to make it better so I didn't have to feel their pain. It also created an eating disorder, an addiction that I had because I was so weighed down by the propensity of my feelings. And all I wanted was to do big things in life. All I wanted was to be a contribution to the planet, but I I couldn't, it was like, I would do the big things, and in a way, I was think you know, I guess it was I'm thankful in a way that I had some sort of a weird perfectionist
2: <laughs> that forced me to
1: still like show up to the club and like be that leader, even though I felt like crap and I had just eaten myself to death the night before, right? So the addiction weighed me down, but somehow I pulled myself through. But it wasn't really, and again, I clung to the feelings. I hated them, but I loved them at the same time. And then it wasn't really, it was somewhere in my twenties. I, you know, I wish I could say that there were like an exact pivot. point mm-hmm. where I'm like, it's when this happened. I don't know that it was when something in particular happened or maybe it was okay. What I would say along the way, I started to see more and more of their beauty. It was when, and this was a big pivot point for my entire life. I had quit my 13 year career in social services. So I was in my twenties, but I had had, I had been a social, social worker since I was. Well, on one level, you could say 11 years old and another level more (laughs) more directly. I was like working in social work from 15 on. So I had this like full on career in social services. So by 28, it was really like 26 ish. I had begun my quitting process to start a business. I spent two years eating, sleeping, breathing a business plan and gathering investment. Got two and a half, I'm 28 years old, know nothing about business really, but I gathered two and a half million dollars of investment to the table. I move myself and everything I own and my team is about to move behind me up towards San Francisco, so a new city for me, so the investors could be active. The market crashed. Mm. I lost, they lost everything, so I lost everything. The checks didn't get signed. They were going to get signed like a few days later. That pivot point catalyzed me going, well, what the hell? All these big things I want to do with my life and all this like depth of feels and complexity of my mind that I've been experiencing my whole life. Well, what do I do with that? Because something's got to be possible. And I thought it was all going to click, but the click just fell out from under me. Mm -hmm. So what now? That forced me into a space so deep inside of myself, so deep that what I realized, and, and I had, um, if you rewind, another big element of my experience was trying to go to therapy for my addiction with food. And therapist after therapist after therapist would lovingly shut the door in my face because my questions were too big. They were mm. too deep. They were too existential. My question scared my therapist, so I couldn't have anyone to help me. So in my perception of, okay, now I'm all alone. I just lost two and a half million dollars in investment. I had quit my job. I have no way to make income. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with my life now. What's, what's possible now? All of that depth of going inside of myself because no one could help me forced me to access. It's like all the dots started to connect finally. And it forced me to access the propensity of my feelings. And from there, it was literally like everything in my life shifted. Once Mm -hmm. I learned how to feel my feelings for the gift that they were, without the thoughts, like once I learned how to just feel, my outside world started to change. My inside, I started to lose weight rapidly. I didn't need to overeat anymore. And then my outside world, like suddenly people were interested in my business and think like things started to click and move because I processed what was inside of me and my outside got better. So that was the pivot point. So it wasn't until twenty-eight or really maybe even thirty, a couple of years after that it was fully, like everything fully opened up and I went, Okay, now I get it. Now mm-hmm. I know why I felt so connected to my feelings and I was never willing to, you know, shut them down. And now I get why.
0: How'd you get introduced to understanding your feelings? Was it a book that you read, some podcast that you listened to? Like What, what triggered you in wanting to go into that space?
1: You know, it's so interesting. I, I'm trying to think back because I have had some mentors along the way without whom I could not have done it. Um, and I don't know that there were any, well, okay. One of the ways that I, so I did go get help for my eating disorder through an energy worker. Mm-hmm. And she had a counseling degree. So we would talk about it every once in a while. And I would have these massive feelings open up during energy work sessions. And then we would talk about it. And she, I would say maybe like that was one tipping point. So it wasn't reading books, it was through my own experience and the deep knowing inside of the, the little kid in me who just knew that she could be Superwoman, who mm-hmm. like literally wouldn't take off the Wonder Woman under rim, and You know what? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I wouldn't take off my, my Wonder Woman under when I was growing up because I knew I was supposed to be powerful, but I knew that like that power wasn't power. I knew that this was power,
2: mm-hmm.
1: like what we all had access to, right? And that we had to have it together to have power. So it wasn't a book. Um, thank God it was that energy worker. And from there, me realizing, oh, wait, it is all in me. Oh, okay. And so actually what I did was I put down the books. Like, I had started to, you know, delve into spirituality and I started to read books, and something in me around that period of time just knew put down the books. It's not about books. Go in there.
0: Hmm. That's really interesting that you mentioned that because I've always been curious and hearing different people's stories, like how that journey began, especially when you talk about feelings or therapy, some of these topics that have so much stigma. Mm -hmm. around them. And that's another thing that I wanted to hear from, or would be curious to hear from your end in working in in this particular field, how do you deal with the stigma? How do you deal with the fact that feelings and personal development and all of this, it's like, you know, topics you don't really talk about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the primary ways that I do, I'm trying to think of how to word this in a way that it just like fully makes sense for everyone. Um, Okay. So you know how, you know the recognition that thoughts create things, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So I, our thoughts and our feelings are also very deeply connected. And so I, and I actually, there literally are um, quite literally are invisible systems that connect our feel- our feelings and our thoughts to our bodies, to our things. Um, these are not systems that are normally perceived, but they're systems that everybody has the muscles to access. Mm-hmm. It is something I teach in sorcerer school is, okay, here are the invisible systems. And people are like, oh, I get it. It's been there all along. Oh, that's the muscle that my mind has been trying to access. Oh, I get it. So where I'm going with that is, those invisible systems that connect our thoughts to our feelings, our feelings to our, and our thoughts and feelings to the things. What I do is if I experience stigma that I feel like affects me, if I feel like, Oh, the world, you know, if I have this, this experience of like, Mm -hmm. Oh, people keep people keep, I mean, I call myself a sorceress because I was guided to, there were a few years there where, Oh, people think that I'm a witch. How do I get them to see that it's not that's not the kind of sorcery or sorcererness that I need? <laughs> or or if I as a woman, you know, there's there's not only stigma in the self-development industry as a woman, it's like, well, but men keep treating me this way, but I'm not that. I want them to see past my physical. I want that any of those elements, anything where there was stigma or where there was an obstacle having to do with how people perceived me or my work or my business, I would go in here. There are Mm -hmm. invisible systems that we could use and that's what I do, is I use those invisible systems and then it transforms the outside. So I almost never now have men just hit on me. I Mm. almost never have people say sorceress, that's weird. Like in fact, actually I don't know if I ever have in years now. Like now I will get people who are hardcore Christians who were taught to be afraid of the concept of the sorcerer come to me and be like, Oh wait, but you're different. Aren't you? I can just tell that that's not what you mean Mm -hmm. because the invisible systems teach us how to process the circumstances that aren't aligned with our desires. And the stigma will, the stigma on the outside will dissolve when we dissolve it on the inside.
0: Mm. Where do you think the stigma comes from to begin with?
1: I mean, how far back do we want to go?
0: (laughs) All the way back in history. (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: So, and I don't know the exact pivot point, but I have a sense. Um, So you've heard the word patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There were periods of time. So if you go way, 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 way back, um, you know, there's, there's masculine energy and there's feminine energy and it's inside of all of us. Right. There's in, in um if you look at like Chinese symbols, there's like yin and yang, mm-hmm. right? And we require the yin and the yang to be whole. And it used to be that the world in a way worshipped the yin or the feminine and knew that without the yin or the feminine, the masculine, the structure, the roots weren't actually whole. Like it used to be that people knew that we required both and therefore they worshiped the yin and brought it into all situations. Mm -hmm. And I mean, again, I don't know how deep do we want to go. I have a sense that people were going so deep with that access to the feminine because there's energy there. And when we realize that everything's energy, our three-dimensional physical world starts to transform. And though that's beautiful, I think that maybe society went, I don't know if it's too far, for whatever reasons, that started to scare people. Mm-hmm. And out of fear, people started to shut it down. And there was some sort of a collective agreement that society made that was like, oh, yeah, I'm scared of knowing myself as energy too. Shut me down, shut me down. And we, throughout centuries upon centuries, thousands of years, co-created this world in which the physical and the three-dimensional and what we see with our eyes was all that existed. Mm -hmm. And so that I think, honestly, it's like where stigma exists in self-development or where there is stigma in like feeling our feelings and yet everybody deep down, I work with more men. I have, it's starting to go 50, 50 again, but for years I have actually, for years I worked with 80% men and all of my male clients. Will openly what uh, openly once they feel safe and comfortable, openly say, "Oh I, my deep feels are everything to me, but like I don't feel like they're supposed to be right mm-hmm. so where the stigma came from though again, it was years of patriarchy mm-hmm. years of of us believing that structure was the only way to survive because we were afraid of what existed beyond what our eyes could see
0: mm-hmm. You bring up a lot of really good points. I think the first one is in regard to having the male and masculine and feminine components that each and every single one of us have. I'm a huge believer in that, have experienced that on numerous occasions. The challenge within that that becomes is because certain elements of the society haven't accepted that as a possibility. Therefore, when a male starts talking through feminine voice or does something like that, Mm -hmm. he's all of a sudden just outcast, you know, Mm -hmm. completely different. Don't talk to them. And and all these labels that get created. So there becomes a challenge in embracing both within that. And that's why I think there is an importance to creating your tribe of -hmm. people that you genuinely want to be surrounded by. And if there's anything that I've learned, it is that because there are so many people on this planet, it is totally possible to create your own group, create your own community. Mm-hmm. It may take time, but at the same time, what things don't take time, right?
1: That's true, yeah. The, true.
0: the other thing that, uh, as you were sharing it, got me thinking, there was a question I was recently having around this concept of how real is real, and it got me curious, in, in your case, Can it still be real if you don't understand?
1: (laughs) It's a really good question. So, um, you know, it's interesting. Let's look at science for a moment. Uh, There are different kinds of scientists. And someone might be in the room, like we could have multiple scientists in the room with us right now, right? And some of them might try to tell us, no, it's not real if you can't see it. Or no, 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 like approach... I'm actually not anti-skepticism. Like approaching things with skepticism is not – it depends on the type of skepticism and how you carry it. I don't think I, the skepticism unto itself is bad. And – I mean there's nothing bad. And I don't think it's detrimental necessarily. If you look at though the way a scientist might approach it, the scientists who say, oh, it's not real if I can't see it or if it hasn't yet been proven – are usually, and this is not to make anyone wrong, it's just that we're all in different phases in our lives and our careers and with our work and our knowing. Mm -hmm. Those are usually the scientists that aren't actually that skilled as a scientist yet. Mm -hmm. The scientists are the ones who know that you've gotta go with some sense of intuition first or some sense of like, I can't tell you how, but I just know. Like, I sense, yeah, it might just be energy right now. It might not be something I can see, but I'm going to prove it. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we would not, like, yes, it can be real. It is real if you can't see it. Yes, also our minds can make things up and, you know, we project onto each other, for example. That's a way in which something wasn't real, but we perceived it to be human instinct, human nature, right? And, of course, it can be real if you can't see it. Like, science has proven that. If you look at physics and all that physics, thank God, has proven for us, which I believe physics proves like whatever you want, God, universe, whatever you want to call that bigger energy, physics proves that there's something bigger than us out there Mm -hmm. without recognizing that maybe just because I can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't have what physics has shown us.
0: Mm. That's a that's a really interesting point, and it's a great point, and that's something that I've wondered quite some time. And it's the I mean, it's the same exact question: Do you have to understand it in order for it to be real? And I think in certain cases, I think there's a, there's a story that a friend of mine shared with me. I want to say it, it's a book. It is a book called Black Swan, and mm-hmm. essentially it talks about the possibility that just because you haven't seen it, does it make it impossible? that it doesn't exist. And I think it's the same exact thing. But to not go on a complete tangent or rabbit hole in some other, some other topic and some other direction, one of the things that you mentioned prior to this was this concept of invisible forces mm-hmm. and how it's accessible to many of us on this planet. Could you talk more a little bit about what those forces are and how do you personally help individuals tap into them through your own work?
1: Definitely. Um, all right. Have you ever seen the way a plant moves in a time-lapse video? Like, have you ever watched a time-lapse mm-hmm. video of a plant growing?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And have you noticed it grows around and around mm-hmm. in a spiral, right? Or if you're walking on the beach, if you have the luxury of a beach nearby and you're walking on the beach and you pick up a seashell, many, if not most, seashells have a ring moving through it. Mm -hmm. right? Or like a snail, the top of a snail shell, right? Mm -hmm. Everything in life is growing in that fashion around and around and around. Now that plant, you don't see it with the naked eye. You don't see it growing in a spiral. Like if you were a gardener and you go out, you know, now it's Monday, now it's Tuesday, now it's Wednesday. You're not going to see, Oh, you know, maybe noon on Monday it's here. I don't know how fast it actually grows, but like maybe noon on Monday it's here and like 3 PM it's just there. Mm
2: -hmm. And then maybe
1: by Friday it's like around here. You don't see that with your eyes, Mm -hmm. but it's moving through everything. So if you take that spiral and move it into what's been proven scientifically, we have Fibonacci sequence, which is a mathematical equation that essentially proves that spiral that grows through everything. So now think about your life and think about how you might have a desire, or maybe it's like you're trying to build a business, or you're trying to get this raise at work, or you're trying to find a life partner, or you have intentions around the way you're raising your kids, like any of the things that you desire to create in your life. You make a plan, and then suddenly you're like, I, that is not going as planned. Mm-hmm. There is a spiral moving through everything, and it knows more than we do because we set intentions with it. We are constantly co-creating with it, not realizing that we are. Our mind, our bodies, our soul, and our spirits co-create with it unconsciously. So one of the things I do is I help people become conscious of what they need to be conscious of as well as let go of the things they need to stop overthinking about because we don't need to actually – there are certain things that if we try to understand, that attempt to understand actually just gets in our way Mm. because it just wants to be experienced, like felt in the body. And When you experience it, you know – I mean, let's go go kind of uh, edgy for a second, maybe edgy for some people. Mm -hmm. An orgasm. If I were to tell you what an orgasm is and you'd never experienced one, like you wouldn't be like, you might not believe me, right? Because this is this invisible experiential thing. But once you've experienced it, you're like, okay, yeah, I know what that is now. Maybe I still don't understand what it is, but like, oh yeah, I know what it is. Mm -hmm. So there are certain things that when we let go of the understanding, the experience that we can have is so much better. So I teach people through using those systems when you know how and like how to train themselves to let go of the understanding, how to experience what they need to experience, and how to recognize the way that spiral is moving through their lives and all their things, so that instead of it, the road feeling like it's bumpy, they can actually be with the bumps that are meant to happen in a way that feels smooth and feels joyful, as well as create in a way that they're not unintentionally creating more bumps than necessary. Mm. So it brings them to more of a sense, like they're more aligned with their purpose. Their sense of purpose is more clear for them. Their focus is more clear. They are more influential in what they're able to do. They can get more done. They can hold more space for themselves in their lives. And those are all things that you can do when you recognize how those systems are working because it's no longer so exhausting because instead of them working on you, now they're working for you. Does
0: that Mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. Question regarding that. If life moves in the circle, which I subscribe to, I believe in that and Mm -hmm. in everything else, including the different things that we go through, such as Mm -hmm. you might be going through times where (coughs) everything is going your way and then all of a sudden, boom, you're underwater learning how to swim and possibly Mm -hmm. drowning sometimes. The question that I have for you is that if that's one of the truths and that is everything goes in the circle, including growth, Mm -hmm. why is it that... Some, for some of us, we don't choose to accept that as a reality, but rather we want to accept the flat line as the reality. Oh,
1: right. right. I mean, it's a good question. I mean, because we're stubborn? It's, and it's not really. It's not intentional stubbornness. Um, because the systems of what our internal protection mechanisms mm-hmm. For some, they're stronger than others and we all come from different backgrounds and upbringing and, and those backgrounds and upbringing are not only what we know we've experienced. So if you take the concept of religious imprinting, for example, and I'm not anti-religion, some of my clients are religious and I I have absolutely, there's, there's value in all the things. Mm -hmm. And there are like, I also have worked with recovering religious people who were like, Oh, but my upbringing got in the way. It just depends on how that religion was formed for the person. So if you take the unhealthy versions of religious upbringing, there are also people who have that in their systems and they don't realize, oh, there's this protection mechanism. My psyche is trying to protect me from this not from this perceived version of fear, this perceived version of unsafe, and I don't even know why. Why do I keep holding myself back? It might be, for example, religious imprinting from like your ancestors that you don't remember. Or it might be like if you believe And I don't need for people to subscribe to this belief because it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. You don't need to believe this, but it could be other layers of like other lifetimes that you've been experienced, or it could be, you know, something from childhood or something from your infancy, or it could be that thing in passing that a teacher mentioned that you like, maybe a teacher told you you weren't enough, or maybe it was just a teacher mentioned something about, well, if you don't have a job, you're not going to be safe. Right, people think that they're protecting us mm-hmm. by subscribing, by forcing us to subscribe to their beliefs or putting their beliefs upon us. All of those things get built into constructs in our psyche, and those constructs, like they calcify in our systems, so they're buried in our bodies, they're buried in our minds, and that's people's psyche thinking it's keeping them safe. And it's it's like until we actually know how to like decalcify Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that process of the protection mechanisms of our psyche. You can't blame someone for, and there are even people who are like, but I want to see the world as energy, but I just can't stop. And there are people who are more extreme who resist and like, no, I'm not willing to believe what you're saying, no matter Mm -hmm. what kind of proof you give them. Cause we're all having the experiences we're having based on the protection mechanisms we've, they've been instilled in us.
0: Yeah. And at the end of the day, and this was a little bit of a hard one for me to accept and took many, many years to do so. And that's everyone's right. That's it. You're right. I'm right. Everyone else that may not even agree in the one degree percent of what we just said throughout this conversation, they're also right. Because it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it all is based on how you choose to look at the world. What's your lens. And there's really no lens that's any better than the other it's just you had different experiences. Your self awareness is a, is at a different level.
1: A thousand percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's truth in everything, and truth runs parallel or paradoxical. So it can look like, oh, but you know, this person's, you know, you could believe that, oh, my truth is the only truth, and there's this opposing truth. How could that also be true? You're right. You are right that they are all right.
0: Yeah, it's it's fascinating. <laughs> it really it, it really is fascinating to get to that point and just i mean there's so much about life that i think is in my opinion left in question and there're so many things that i will, may not get a chance to understand that's one of those phenomena how everyone's right it's i don't know how it works but it just does i think i think it just boils down to the fact something that you mentioned earlier that we're all Interconnected somehow. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And as much as we believe, or some of us may believe in the individual self, there's always the collective self, Um, which is one of the reasons why I can definitely relate to the writing that you have on the wall. Relate, Mm -hmm. communicate, innovate, and transform. Yes. The relating part, I think it's Mm -hmm. so key. in Literally in all situations, at least for me, it's understanding that, yes, just because the person's seeing it differently, that doesn't make them wrong. Yeah. They just had different experiences. They took a different journey to get to this point of their lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And when, you know, it's interesting, transform is at the bottom. Mm-hmm. The way we work in our model, we have two different models in Sorcerer School. We have an entire model that we work with for transform so that, so that you can learn to transform your own DNA first. And when, when we have that access, it's alchemy, you know, transforming one version of matter yeah. and transforming the matter that doesn't belong in our bodies anymore, right, mm-hmm. into that which it's always wanted to be. When you know the process of transformation, then you can move into how you're relating or communicating or innovating with yourself or your loved ones or the world mm-hmm. in a way that is so much more transformative, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you get transformed, then you recognize that it's all true. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you recognize how to be with somebody else's truth, even if it's different than yours, and still love them in it. And then we can go to like, well, how are you relating to them? It's so much easier. Mm-hmm. So much.
0: Mm-hmm. What's the best way that people can connect with you and connect with the school and the work that you're doing right now?
1: Where are they going to find us right now? Are they? Could this be posted anywhere? It depends. Correct. Like, are, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, so the website then is just the easiest way. If they go to moderndaysorcer.com and Sorceress S O R C E R E R, modern day sorcerer, uh, there's a lot of free goodies. You can grab the free workbook, there's a free web class. There's actually two free web classes on there. Um, so they can go and, you know, you, our listeners, can go and grab any of the free things. If you want to connect with me directly, there are places on the website. What is also very easy if you find me on LinkedIn, Jordana Air, uh, E Y R E. Find me on LinkedIn and I'm quite accessible there. Uh, or you could email us at team at moderndaysorcer.com.
0: Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring stories. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next week.